where your credit card gets declined, all the air comes out of you, right? And let, now, I will qualify this. Let me qualify this to make sure we don't, don't misunderstand one another. If it's maxed out or nearly maxed out, you're playing a dangerous game anyway. You know it's possible that it's going to get declined. I'm talking about that moment where you know there's plenty of room left on this card or this is a debit card, and it gets declined, and you just go, so you're scrambling, do I have cash, do I have another card, can you try it again? It, it, it takes the wind out of you a little bit, right? It's when it's like that for seemingly no reason that we begin to, to think through the possibility, somebody lifted my card number, someone lifted my entire identity, I've had to deal with it a few times. It's that moment where you finally get somebody on the phone from the credit card company and they ask you if you just spent $600 at a Foot Locker in Illinois. And you say, I haven't been in Illinois in about 10 years, so I don't think so. I don't, I don't believe so. And you cancel the card and they say, oh, you know, you'll get your money back. It'll be 10 days or so and you wait for it. And, and that's fine. But then you watch everything pretty closely for the next few weeks, if not longer hoping that it was just the card that was compromised, not the entirety of your identity. And um, My parents had issues with one of their cards several years ago. The person made a, a couple of small test purchases. I think it was like an app for their phone or something, 99 cents, just to see if the card would take. But then they bought a bunch of like frozen food. And the, the, kind of how they figured it out was it got shipped to their house. They messed that up. It, they shipped it to the stolen credit card number's house instead of what they wanted, free food. You know, good deal. So um, I don't think that was the plan when they lifted the credit card number. In the world we live in today, the possibility of having your identity stolen is very real and present. In fact, I, I, would, I would say across all three services today, with the amount of people that will come through here, uh, there's a very good chance that someone has, has dealt with this in a very serious way. It has to feel violating. Even just having your, your card number lifted feels violating. My, my assumption, if you, if you truly were in a, dealing with a situation where it went deeper than that, that you would end up feeling pretty helpless because you want to fix it, but there's a limit to what you can do to fix it. When someone takes that from you, when someone violates you like that, it's just wrong. But what about the times when our identity, who we are, isn't taken from us, but instead we lose it on our own? As we've been working our way through this series, finding your way back to God, we've been working through awakenings, five awakenings, five realizations, if you will, that help us find our way back to God. Several weeks ago, we began by talking about awakening to longing. It was this idea that we all have God-given longings for love, for purpose, and for meaning, and these longings can either push us away from God or push us toward God, depending on how we go about trying to fulfill those longings. The week after that, we looked at the awakening to regret. When these longings that we awaken to push us away from God, we attempt to fill the, fulfill the longings with, with things that aren't of God. And those attempts to fulfill it take us farther and farther away from God, and we end up in what we call the sorry cycle, this, this cycle of longing and regret, longing and regret. And if we come to our senses, if we awaken to that regret, we realize that with God we can start over. And then last week we looked at awakening to help. At the point of awakening to help, we admit, maybe for the first time, I cannot do this on my own. We admit that we need help. We admit that we are powerless to fulfill our longings on our own. 
But most importantly, we realize that help has a name, and that name is Jesus, which leads us to today. Because even as we find our way back to God, even as we come home, that doesn't mean that everything is just magically fixed. We wish that it was that easy, but, it, but it's not. And if we come back home, it doesn't mean that the journey is over. These awakenings aren't just something that happens the first time we find our way back to God. We've, we've been saying it this way, that finding your way back to God is a life-changing moment, but it's also a life-growing process. It happens over and over again. So just because we're home, it doesn't mean everything is fixed. Sometimes even after we've come home, we forget who we are, we lose our identity, and so today's fourth awakening actually holds the secret to our true identity. We've been hanging out in this story from the book of Luke that we showed at the very beginning and we have shown every single week of the series. This parable that Jesus told called the prodigal son. The younger son took his inheritance early and and went out and lost it all. He fell hard and he decided that he would come home but that he would come home as a servant to his father. That that was probably the only possibility that he had of being accepted back in his home was to be a servant and so he begins the journey home. And Last week we talked about the father who who sees him approaching and and runs out to meet him and embrace him with unmatched compassion. And we'll continue today with the son's response to his father. In Luke chapter 15, verse 21, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. After seeing the way that the father was waiting. And remember, if if you were here last week, we we talked about the fact that the father saw the son while he was still far away, which to me says the father didn't just step outside one day and the son happened to be coming home. The father was watching. He was waiting. He was looking regularly for his lost son. After seeing the way his father was waiting, after seeing the way his father ran to him, something extremely undignified in that culture for him to do, after feeling that embrace, that he really wasn't expecting. After what we would consider unmistakable signs of love and grace, the son's opinion of himself does not change. And he says words that had to be so hard for the father to hear. If, if, if you're a father, if you've been a father, if you, if you plan to be a father someday, try for just a moment to imagine one of your kids feeling like they needed to say this phrase, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. It would break you in half. Yes, this son has messed up. Absolutely, he's done some things he shouldn't have done. But his father embraces him and he still says, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you feel that way about your relationship with God. You find your way back to him, but your mind is, is still in the places of regret. And you're struggling to leave those feelings behind. And even though you're home, those regrets still stand between you and your father. That shame makes you doubt the embrace. It's like he said, that, that, that hug, it felt good, but it still didn't deserve it. That, that hug felt good, but there's all this other stuff we still got to deal with, and, and he's holding on to it. You see, the prodigal son was filled with shame. In fact, think about it this way. It was like his shame was a shadow that had followed him home. Shame is annoying like that. You know, I'm, I'm walking around up here and, and my shadow's in about six different directions because of the lights. It doesn't matter how quick I move. It doesn't matter how stealthy I am. And I am very stealthy in case you didn't know that. I cannot separate myself on this stage 
from my shadow. I just can't do it. Even if I pick up my foot, the shadow is still there. Even if I would jump and run around, which I'm not going to do, it still would stay with me. And the shame that the son is carrying, and some of us have been there, is like that shadow. He just can't shake it. Shame can cast a shadow over a, a homecoming. A, it can influence us to forget who we are and where we belong. It can convince us, and I believe had convinced this son, it can convince us that we don't deserve anything good, that we don't deserve grace or mercy. Shame can keep us from embracing our true identity. You see, even after we come home, we still need this fourth awakening. And while the son still almost certainly had that look of shame on his face, insisting he wasn't worthy, the father shouts to his servants, if you've been around for several weeks, you've seen that video over and over again, you may have noticed that each person that reads the story, that tells the story of the prodigal son, they, they have slightly different versions of it. Some are a little more paraphrased, some are a little more specific to New International Version or some specific translation of Scripture. My favorite one at this point in the story is the lady who says, but the father wasn't listening. But the father wasn't listening. Verse 22, but the father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet. And I, I can just imagine the confusion that the son is experiencing. I, I just said I wasn't worthy, and yet here come the gifts. I don't deserve to be here, but yet here I am. And you've got to understand, it's more than just, hey, a robe is nice and sandals are nice and a ring is nice. There is cultural significance to these gifts that he was given. The robe was a symbol of rest. And I'll tell you what, after what this son has been through, he probably needs some rest, but he probably wasn't expecting to get any. He was going home to be a servant. He was going home to work. He was going home to earn his place if he could ever get back by working hard. And yet he's given a robe. And he called for the finest robe, which knowing what we do about that culture, if we think for just a moment, I think we can assume, in fact, that this was the father's robe. He would have had the finest robe in the house. It, it wasn't an extra robe. It wasn't the son's old robe. It wasn't even the father's old robe. It wasn't anything but the best. And if you were this son after all that had happened, imagine how it would have felt to be wrapped in your father's robe after all of this probably second only to the actual embrace of his father. It's like you're home. This is what home feels like. You can rest. The ring was a symbol of security. Really throughout history, kissing the ring of a king when you were in his presence was a sign that you recognized, that you respected, that you acknowledged his power and authority. And so presenting a ring to someone was a way to place them into a position of power or authority. By giving his ring to his son, his father was transferring to him his own power and authority. You now wear the ring of your father. You, you are, have the rights to all the things he does as well. Remember, the son was broke. He was penniless even. But with this ring, he was given a new financial identity, that of his father. If there was an equivalent today, and this doesn't really do it justice, but I, I wanted to come up with something. If you send your child off to college with an emergency credit card. It's this, it's this safety net. If they ever need they're not supposed to use it, right? But if they ever need it, it's there. If they got stranded on the side of the road and they needed to stay in a hotel, if they you know, needed to fix a vehicle, it's this emergency backup. In some ways, that's what this son had. If nothing else, he would now know with that ring, 
of his fathers that he would never go without a meal again, that he would always have a place to sleep, that he would never want for anything again. All situations he was just in. He was hungry. He didn't know where he was going to sleep. He didn't know when his next meal would come. But the ring brought him security. It's a different life for him now. And the sandals, they were a symbol of acceptance. Remember, he was going home as a slave, and the truth is, in that time, the only people who were allowed to wear anything on their feet in the house were the homeowners themselves. And I don't think we're stretching at all to imagine that the son probably came home shoeless, looking more like a servant than a son. So when the father gives him the sandals, it probably means more than we can imagine. You see, we need to understand that these three gifts told this son the truth about his identity. He's not a stranger. He's not a servant. He's not a hired hand. He's family. He's a son again. That's his identity. That's who he is. I sincerely hope that as we're working through this series that you can realize that you and I were, at times in our lives, for stretches in our lives, maybe for most of our lives, we're, we're prodigals. We wander. We get lost. We forget who we are. And so many times we forget that identity. We lose that true identity and, and we choose to carry around regrets. And we get to this point where we're not sure we're really worthy of God's love. But that's why we need this fourth awakening, the awakening to love. Because for the first time or once again, we have an opportunity to make the shadow of shame disappear and realize that God loves me deeply after all that God loves me deeply anyway, that God loves me deeply in spite of it all. When we get to the point that we awaken to love, we come to find out that our true identity, our true identity, and understand, we get caught up in a lot of other identities. You know, my, my identity is, is, you know, how successful I am, or what my career is, or what my family's like, or what my house looks like, or what my car looks like what's in my 401k, or my identities and how many people I can make laugh, or, you know, whatever. We, we find our identities in so many places. What we need to realize is that we have a true identity, and it's got nothing to do with any of that. Our true identity is as a beloved son or daughter of our Heavenly Father. Everything else is temporary. Everything else is part of this world. Everything else pales in comparison being a beloved son or daughter of our Heavenly Father. Author Brendan Manning said it so beautifully uh, when he said this. He said, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Accept that and let it become the most important thing in your life. Every other identity is is illusion. And whatever we define ourselves with, whatever we, we hold to for our identity, I'm sure that it seems like the right thing or a good thing or a positive thing. But it's just an illusion. Because we are beloved by God first. Each week in this series, we challenge you to pray a prayer for 30 days. And I, and I hope that you're taking that on. The reason we keep putting it in the insert is so that you have something to take with you, and we're actually going to send you home uh, next Sunday with all five of these prayers. We want you to, to commit to praying these for 30 days. But each week we've done that, and here's this week's. They all start the same way. God, if you're real, make yourself real 
to me, and this one will be tough, awaken in me the awareness that I am your unconditionally loved child. And it sounds nice. Awaken in me the awareness that I am your unconditionally loved child. But as you look at that, I want you to consider these questions just for a moment. Do you know that? Do you realize who you are? Do you realize that you are loved? That you're forgiven? That you're accepted? Because I think a lot of us would say, sure, I know God forgives. I know God loves me. We'll even repeat, if somebody says God is good, we'll say, all the time, thank you, for like the three people, appreciate it. We'll, we'll say the right things. We don't do that very often, so I don't blame you. We'll say the right things. We'll say, I believe that God loves me. I believe that God forgives me. But here's the problem. So many of us so often do not live like we believe that. We can say the right thing. We can spout back the right. We might even be able to quote a verse about it. Well, yeah, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We often don't live like we're forgiven. We often don't live like we're loved. Because if we did, I think that would change some things for us. We all need to awaken to love because God loves us and that love is indescribable. That love is beyond compare. And yet even though we can't even define it, even though we can't describe it, that is the love that God has for us. You see, my hope would be that we could all walk out of this place today in our robe and our ring and our sandals. We might look funny because that would be weird. But, seriously, my hope is that we can each walk out those doors today and really any time knowing that we are safe and that we are home and that we are God's children. If you read through the Bible, and a lot of us are reading through the Bible in a year, and, and maybe you've gotten to some of these verses and maybe you haven't, what you'll find is over and over again there are reminders of the identity God gives us when we come home. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, that any, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And it sounds amazing, but we are super, super, super good holding on to our old life. It's saying, yeah, I know that God forgives and I know that God can take care of all that stuff, but I'm going to dwell on it. I'm going to hold on to those regrets. I'm going to hold on to those shames. I'm going to hold on to those struggles and I'm not going to let myself off the hook for them even though I believe, or at least I say I believe, that God is taking care of it. No. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It means we don't have to hold on to it anymore. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 he is so rich in kindness, that, that's God by the way, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And we can say, yes, freedom, we love the idea, but we keep ourselves chained up with regret, with our past. We don't live like we're free. And yet he paid the price that we couldn't pay. He purchased our freedom uh, it, it, sometimes I feel like it's, it's like God gave us the key to whatever's locking us up, and we're holding the key going, well, I understand that I'm free, but, but I'm still stuck here, and we don't make the connection. Like, wait, I have freedom. I'm just not taking advantage of it. He paid the price. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
ooh, that sounds great. But so many of us are quick to condemn even ourselves. Listen, coming back to God does not mean that you're going to be perfect. If that was the case, nobody's ever actually come back to God. We're still going to struggle. We're still going to make mistakes. We condemn ourselves. We say, I'm not worthy. God says, I already took care of it. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 39, just a few verses later. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And yet so often we feel like God is so far away. He's not going anywhere. We allow that distance to be created. In Galatians 3.26, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and yet we don't often live like we're children of God. In all those verses, do you know what I read? No more shame. No more shadow. For you are a child of God. Your past is in the past, so let's leave it there. You are a new creation. You are home, and you are safe in God's hands. And here's the truth. As we find our way back to God, there will be things and and voices and people along the way who suggest that we might not be accepted by God, by our Father God. Those voices and those people are wrong. They're wrong. Henry Nguyen said this. He said, every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity, and held safe in an everlasting belief. Now, the most important thing to me in that entire quote is the truth, even though I cannot feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God. Awakening to God's love means holding on to your new identity. Sometimes we don't feel like the beloved child of God, but we are beloved children of God. Even though I cannot feel it right now. And if you do awaken to God's love, if you hold on to that identity, it will in turn have an amazing effect on how you think and function because it will change the way you think about God. It will change the way you think about yourself. It will change the way you think about others. It will change who you are, how you act, how you treat people. It changes how you feel. It becomes the core of you, which is how it should be because it's your identity, beloved child of God. Whether you believe that you deserve God's love or not is actually not all that important because he loves you whether you think you deserve it or not. The truth is, you and I, we don't deserve it. But he loves us anyway. But to me, maybe the best part of our story, this story we've been studying, comes after the father gives the robe and the ring and the sandals to his son. In, in verse 23 and 24, father says this, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Father throws the party. 
He celebrates this son who is lost but now is found. And, and that's a celebration we want to have every time someone who is lost is found. If you're finding your way back to God, a hugely important step in that journey is to go public with your faith in Jesus and be baptized. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. You see, baptism represents several things. Baptism represents dying to our old self. The self that tried to live apart from God. We've talked a lot about that in this series. The self that tried to fulfill our longings on our own. We've talked a lot about that too. The self that looks a lot like the prodigal son. That's the self that we put behind us, that we give to God, and he gives us new life. In baptism, we declare our commitment to follow Jesus. And those sins, that shame, that shadow, it's washed away because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. And in that grave, when he defeated death. And, and here's one thing I do not want anyone to miss. Sometimes we are what's standing between ourselves and making a decision for Christ. Sometimes we come up with reasons that it's not the right time. Sometimes we convince ourselves we're not ready because we have too much baggage. Sometimes we convince ourselves that if we've been around church for a long time and have never been baptized, that if we went forward, if we made that decision, that people would then judge us for, for waiting so long and say, well, that person's been here for years. Why are they just now getting baptized? Listen, don't miss this. The son had all the baggage in the world. He should have never left. Or at least he should have come home sooner. And yet the father doesn't question that for a second. He doesn't reprimand. He doesn't judge. He throws a party. If something like that is holding you back, no, we just want to throw a party for you. We want to celebrate if you're really ready to come home to God. In fact, wherever, wherever you're at, whenever you're ready to accept your identity as a child of God, we really would just love to throw you a party. We'd love to celebrate that with you. We'd love to celebrate your decision and your baptism together with you because it's one of the most important decisions, the most important decision you can make. If you're ready, if you believe, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want him to lead your life, there is no reason to wait. And the truth is, the baptism will sit in here leaking all over the floor, so I'd like to use it. I'm not kidding. I'm willing to clean up a mess if it means we get to throw a party. And we're going to have a couple baptisms later that are already, we know are happening, and we, we'd be happy to do some more. Because it really is an amazing decision, an amazing moment. It's a decision we all need to make. To, to publicly declare, I'm going to follow Jesus to be washed in the blood, to be, to, 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 to be buried with him, and to raise again a new life. We're going to sing another song together, and as we do that, I'm just going to invite you to give that some thought. If we can throw you a party today, we'd love to. If you've never made that decision, but you're ready to, we'd, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you've made that decision a while ago and you've, you've wandered away, there's been some distance between you and God, but you feel like, you know what, I do want to come home. We'd love to talk to you about that too. If you've been around and you've, you've seen kind of the way things go around here, you say, listen, I'd like to be a part of this family and you'd like to, to become a member of the church family here at New Life, we'd love to talk to you about that as well. Or if you just need prayer, 
we'd be happy to pray with you. We just invite you to come as we stand and sing together.